Like movies, you'll love Inglorious Trexperts, the new Star Trek podcast from the creators of the 430 movie. Check it out wherever you listen to podcasts. With Disco Nights, I'm Chase Masterson, and welcome to the show. We appreciate you joining us as we boldly go to talk about the dark and light moments of Star Trek Discovery. With me, I have two very special guests. First, on my right, Anthony Pascal is joining us again. He is founder of TrekMovie.com. Thanks for joining us. So happy to be here. Great. And uh, with us, we have um, a very special guest who uh, you're most likely very familiar with his work on several levels. He is one of the writers from Thor and X-Men and the upcoming Red Sonja. He has uh, joined us many, joined our sister podcast many times, Inglorious Trexperts, which I'm sure you are listening to. And he is one of the co-hosts of 430 movie. He's also appeared many times on the infamous Starship Smackdown. How you doing, Ash? I'm doing great, but honestly, I'm a little confused. What? Because I was told that this podcast was Disco Nights, and I was expecting like lines of coke on the table. That's gross. Uh, We do not joke about drugs. We do not joke about drugs. I'm I'm not joking. I just wanted them. That's all. (laughs) Well, you can go now. How are you doing? Uh, How are you doing? Excited about season two of Star Trek Discovery. Right. So we have been privy to two fantastic trailers that have been at San Diego Comic-Con and New York Comic-Con. And I think, uh, yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the trailer. And, you know, you've had so much to say on this show as a whole. Tell me about where this season two is headed, Anthony. Well, I, I think the big takeaway from the two trailers is they, the, the people behind the show seem to be listening and reacting to how how the show was perceived in the first season, what worked, what didn't work. And I think they are trying to show that a show that's um, lighter, mm-hmm. more action oriented, yeah, more about discovering and exploration. Yeah. Um, you know, a little bit of fun. Yeah, definitely. Um, and definitely diving into the lore, you know, hi, I'm, you know, hey, I'm, I'm Captain Pike, you know, which most people have heard of, mostly from the J.J. Abrams movies, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and, of course, the second one, so that was in the first trailer, and the second one, actually, the first one mentioned Spock, and the second one actually showed Spock with a beard, so they're really trying to say... With a beard, we might yeah, add. <laughs> bearded Spock, not, bearded not Spock. goatee Spock, full-on yeah. beard. Well, you know, he's he's going through his hipster phase. Exactly. He's from the hipster universe. Right. That's Uh, true. Yeah, where everybody else is, is, all the crew is very ironic Yes. uh, (laughs) when you beam over. Yeah. And that's how you can tell that they're the the hipster universe, uh, you know, officers who are- I saw him making a very long order at the coffee shop down the street. Totally. Yeah, he lives there, I think. Yes. So, Artisanal. Yes, exactly. Single origin coffee. Um. Ashley, uh, you've 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 got a lot of great thoughts, I'm sure. Um, this show is it's really youth oriented, I think, in terms of the uh, that's a, a a handle that you've always had on, on that audience. I mean, you've always had a handle on that audience. Tell me where you think this show is going in terms of bringing in new well, audience look, I think members. That um, 
clearly, you know, CBS would love to expand the uh, the fan base. Yeah. Um, in the same way that Paramount wanted to expand the fan base when Star Trek 2009 came out. I mean, that was the entire point of not going back to, um, you know, the Next Generation crew, which had come off the disastrous Star Trek Nemesis. But frankly, I don't think that was a franchise killer because I, I think that um, it, you, you could have continued to make Star Trek The Next Generation movies, and they would have performed at a certain level, and that would have been okay. They took um, a risk. Yeah. yeah, they took a risk, and they did something different. And the truth of the matter is, it kind of worked, man. That movie made a lot of money. And you know, regardless of kind of what happened uh, with Star Trek Beyond and kind of how Star Trek Beyond performed, I mean, you can look at analogs for that in almost any major movie franchise. The, the truth of the matter is, they made um, Star Trek relevant again in the pop culture and like the immediate forebrain consciousness of it. Very much so. Um, so if there's Not anything. Not just for Star Trek fans, but bringing in a new audience that appreciates. Absolutely. When you start seeing kids like the type of Spock and, Yeah, right. 100%. You know, right. it's like, oh, wow, look, it's a tiny Kirk. Yeah. And not because like he got hit with like a ray that turned him into his younger self. No, he is like three years old and he loves Star Trek. Right. I He's seeing that that's all the time fans. now, more and more, all ages. I'm sure you met some fans like this at conventions, but there's people who will talk about how they got into Star Trek through the J.J. movies that as, as like a gateway drug. Yep. And then they've been rediscovering the show through Netflix or Hulu, or, you know, because it's on all the all streaming. All the time. In fact, when uh, a couple of weeks ago at um, Star Trek Destination or Destination Star Trek in um, Birmingham, England, there were a majority of fans that were under the age of 30. And that, you know, considering that they were literally five years old when DS9 went on the air and right. 15 years old when it, you know, less uh, under 15 when it went off, um, barely teenagers, actually. I think that it's it's great to see this new audience uh, absorbing it. Tell me what it is about the show in season one well, uh, that you uh, think brought them in. What is the what are the driving the th- forces? Here's the thing. I, I think um, that Anthony got a hit on something, which is that um, at least how the trailers look for mm-hmm. season two. There appears to be a tonal shift. Um, at the very least, look, it it could very well be as sort of dark and, and serious and serialized as season one. We we It can be anything. You can do anything with a trailer, right? You can make anything like look great or look funny or look whatever. If you don't believe me, look up um, the, uh, the, the trailer for The Shining uh, that somebody cut to like... Um, Salisbury Hill. And it's just, it's bananas. It makes it look like a rom-com. Um, but it does seem like they are having a lot more fun with that show. Yeah. And the thing yeah. about the 2009 Star Trek was, number one, it was accessible. Number two, it was just fun. Um, and I think, if anything, um, Discovery might have struggled with the fun a yeah. little bit in the uh, in the first season. Um, that, weirdly, it was, it was married to continuity and at the same time it was not at all married to continuity like there were just things that if you're a continuity maven you go no i mean that just simply didn't happen continuity within the franchise within within the franchise within like the things that that we kind of know and that's that's okay as long as it's like it's entertaining and it's cool and a lot of that show was entertaining and it was cool right i don't know how accessible it was. But the second that you have, you know, just like just the the poppy feel of what's in that trailer yeah. for season two, mm-hmm. I think that opens it up. In the same way, I, I think the, the reason why people uh, went to see Star Trek 2009 was because of that first trailer. They suddenly like felt something that made it feel relevant. And there's yeah. something in that season two trailer that feels um, 
more relevant to something outside of Star Trek itself. Yeah. Like start like the season one was very much a show about Star Trek, and I think season two feels like it's it it's at least wants to be about what Star Trek is about. Tell me more what you are saying about a, a show that was very much about Star Trek. So look, I I think when you begin with the premise of well, it's about a war with the Klingons, and that war with the Klingons, spoiler alert, carries us to the mirror universe, possibly right. the hipster universe. We right. don't know. Right. Um, you're suddenly so deeply embedded in Star Trek lore and, and, and working so hard to pull together all of these myriad threads and kind of make them into one thread yeah. um, that you're not really going to a place that we haven't seen before. And look, there is no bigger fan of Deep Space Nine than I am. I think that the great virtue of that show I might kind be, of you might be okay, right? Just one certainly. Okay, um, I, yeah, I can imagine you probably love it more than I do. Okay, uh, but uh, certainly, you know that show sat in sort of a place, but it, it used its it used that its its stationary nature to its advantage. It explored in, in different ways, right? And it wasn't kind of going back over ground that we had we had already seen, right? Um, and I think in season one, just the 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 drive to make everything um, you know kind of fit into this serialized nature, the, right. the drive to kind of pull in all these different threads, uh, made it made it tough for that show to open up and let the characters find each other, and and I think um, for the actors to really find themselves. And you can see it happen over the course of the season, right? Right. You can see like Jason Isaacs open up and really own his character yeah. until like yeah. he just frankly terrifying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it, it it's like in a in a in a just world he'll be back. I don't think that he will. Um, just my my gut feeling, but. He wants to come back. I said. hope they get him. Yeah, yeah. yeah he seemed I mean, very positive when I spoke with him. Uh, I, I don't know about positive about coming back or, or not, but he loves the show. I mean, when I spoke with him last last month in or a couple weeks ago in in Birmingham, he just right. is so all in, staying until every single fan got his autograph, staying literally later than anybody, um, which is really nice coming from a guy that has a huge background as an actor, uh, for him to be cherishing this franchise and cherishing the fans' excitement. Right. Yeah. But no, I just, I just, it, it looks more fun. Well, what's I interesting, agree. you know, so many times you hear about from fans. I, I think I would be included in this to say that one of the things I love about Star Trek is that it's a bit of an escape, um, and there's an escapist fun element of Star Trek in general that you could take an hour and just forget about the world and live in this wonderful 23rd or 24th or possibly 22nd century. Yeah. Um, and. The first season of Discovery was asking more of you. It didn't want you to just have some fun and escape. It was asking you to do homework and to think and to, you know, it, it was trying to be peak TV. Um, and, you know, for, for good or for ill, I think it, it, it might have been trying too hard and it didn't have. How do a, you mean that, though? What do you mean for trying too hard? What's the. Well, isn't peak TV really this action-packed and this full of adventure and this full of Well, I'm uh, talking surprises. more about the tone of the show than the action and the, the, the level of production design and stuff like that. That they, that they, they, it didn't have as much fun as, as if you were looking for that kind of sci-fi fun adventure. Now, th if that's you were fine because there's, that's not what, the, they weren't doing that. And in a way, like, you know, people often compare, you know, 
this show to the Orville, which is going purely for let's just recreate the next generation. I'm wearing an Orville hat. I love both shows. They're doing two different things. One show is like let let's do one off fun escapism, and the other show is like no, we're gonna do we're gonna do a cinematic serialized dark serious thing. Right. But right. In but a if way, that's a false choice. It's like but you you the um I, I think kind of. Uh, letting themselves kind of exist in that world where it could only be sort of one or the other was a mistake, which is why I'm hoping that the second season um, embraces the fun but but doesn't lose the the gravity. It is possible yeah. to do um, Trials and Tribulations and Far Beyond the Stars within the span of five episodes and like and right. really have that, that work and have that sing. Yeah, I really appreciate the levity that um, that Mary Wiseman is bringing to the show. And I mean, there's different parts of the show that there's levity in, in a lot of different ways, but I, I think her character bringing a sense of fun and relief um, is really wonderful. And at the same time, she has a sensibility for people who are socially awkward that, as I hear from fans, that that that, that identify that way, um, specific ones that have said, hey, I, I identify with her and I'm really glad to see somebody on television uh, who who I can relate to in this way. Yeah, she's a goober in all the right ways. That you know, She's lovely yeah. and adorable. And, and she shows that not always having the right thing to say is okay. One of the successes of Discover, I would say, certainly in the first season, and this is important for all Star Trek shows, is to create characters that people can identify with. You hear Doug Jones talk about the same thing, people right. coming to him and saying, I identify, you know, I don't identify with Sir. I find him fascinating, but there are a lot of people who identify with that kind of character and I think that's very important. Gender neutral of, as well for right. uh, Doug's character. Right, exactly. Right. So 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 I think that that you know, they did a lot of good work on that and and Tilly is another character that a lot of people identify with a lot of people identify with Michael Burnham and I think that's very important for a Star Trek show to do and certainly something they've succeeded in so far. Yeah, I think they were aiming for dark power and adventure uh, right off the bat with season 1 as a very strong comment on on where they were going and and I think they hit it. I think they really hit their mark. Um Yeah, it, they had a message, they had a political message yeah. definitely. Yeah. The show was written during the 2016 political Woo! campaign. Yeah. And I think that had a heavy influence on the development, certainly, of the early part. Wasn't there So it was actually... too long and we just wondered when the hell the season was going to end. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah mean... exactly. We can't wait for 2020. Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, that's when Red Sonya comes out. <laughs> or sooner, because there's always, you know, prison. But um, we digress. What about the... Uh, yeah, tell me more about the political implications that you fear. Wasn't there an, a line where he said, "Making the galaxy"? Well, that what, what's interesting is Takuvma was. I mean, if we're going to get into the politics, Takuvma yeah. was yeah, the, the first frame of discovery was a political rally, right? It was Takuvma actually giving yeah. a speech to his fellow Klingons, mm -hmm. riling them all up. You know, feeding them red meat, and, uh, and you know, and and uh, sending them towards warmongering. Uh, you know, the Federation. Yeah. Uh, where he wants to spark a war with the Federation, using that, create you know, so, you know, creating an enemy from the other, the Federation. Yeah. In order to unite this disparate band of right. Klingons, you know, and this you know obvious political metaphors 
there. Right. Um, but what's interesting is that by the end of the season, now Lorca was the analog for that character. And he literally says at one point that he wants to make the galaxy great again. Um, so, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that the showrunners changed and they decided to change who their analog was. And so, yeah, you could, you know, Brian Fuller had to Kuvma and, you know, the, uh, Berg and Harberts had Lorca as their analog for, you know, but it, they were still, it was the same kind of political message that they were trying to kind of tie into the times. Mm. That, and I think that they wanted to do a twist that we did not expect for, you know, there's so many things we didn't expect out of Lorca that we see now. Ash, weigh in yeah. on that, if you would, the political implications of so, Discovery. So, okay, first I want to talk about Lorca. Um, look, I love that character, and I thought that he was on a really interesting journey, right? It's like, here's a guy who, you know, the, the all the Mirror Universe stuff kind of really explained him. And I thought, all right, so what we're really watching with this guy is we're watching a story about somebody who is breaking good. Um, as opposed to Breaking Bad. It's like, because the obvious story is that you have the person from the Mirror Universe who corrupts everybody else. The 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 less than obvious story is the story of the person from the Mirror Universe who is corrupted uh, by by our characters, which I think is is really sort of more of the, the, the correct message for, for Star Trek. Um, so I was a little disappointed when he fell off something really high and got incinerated. Just kind of yeah, out of the blue. He um, never and really was, broke good. In a, in a lot of ways, he was I think, not fell off, but was thrown well, into. Yeah, right. But, but mainly, come on, it's it's the Disney villain ending. Right, um, right. It, and really, it was a, a lot of the things that were complex and interesting about him. I think, like in that episode, kind of got turned on their head to become sort of the most obvious and least interesting version of it. Like his uh, watching that show, and I was behind um, several episodes. So the episode where he he has that. Um, conversation with Burnham about how special she is, right? It's a great scene. It's a great scene. Yeah. If, if and only if, Lorca means it, right? Because it's not playing fair with the audience to have us kind of experience that scene and then say, oh, well, actually, it's just all kind of bullcrap. And because of things that we're finding out that happened off screen. It really just means something else because now what we're trading is like this this visceral uh, experience with that scene for this information that comes up here, and we're being you know told, well, now just flip everything that you you think you know, and we're not really mm. dramatizing it, uh, and it undoes that. It undoes that. You know, finding out like who he is, like after getting that scene, like that he was from the Mirror Universe, suddenly made that scene feel even more interesting, and then. It all kind of went off the rails for me. Um, but look, I am of the mind that Star Trek is at its weakest when it is at its most obvious uh, with its social allegories. Um, Deep Space Nine was, I think, the high watermark of Star Trek as social allegory because there was no black and white in Deep Space Nine. There were no obvious analogs for one thing or the other thing. Um, characters made difficult decisions. And then, in the words of Captain Sisko, I can live with it. I can live with it. Mm. But can he, right? It was, it was never that simple. Um, the, you know, the, when we get down to the place where it's your, like, you know, white on one side of your face and black on the other side of your face, or black on this side of your face and white on right, the other, right. it, that stuff doesn't work. But it works when Captain Kirk, in A Taste of, in a taste of Armageddon, says, you know what? Screw you both. 
you're going to fight a real war. It worked better back then right. than it would, it would. But that obviously. kind of choice would work now as a as a dramatic device. And not uh, not necessarily that specific episode. That episode is is that episode. Right. But as as storytelling, right? Yeah. As kind of living inside this story, honestly. Um, and just letting the story be the story first, I think, is when Star Trek is at its strongest. And when it affects the characters on a really human way, it, I, I think it's always stronger. I think it's, yeah. I think the second somebody becomes a sock puppet, whether it is our heroes or our antagonists or whoever it is, it is 100% less interesting. Um, you know, the, on the other hand, um, a lot of stuff blew up really good on Discovery. And it was incredibly badass when the Discovery would pop around things and like and blow the shit out of them. So I was cool with quite that literally part. blowing up. Quite, quite literally blowing right. them up. So you know, as long as like there is that balance of like of all of the incredibly serious shit um, and things blowing up, I'm generally okay. Um, you know, it's just but in the in the case of the characters and what happens with them, for me, it's it's not about what they represent. It's about how I feel about them as human beings. And if you're suddenly telling me as a storyteller that what I feel about this person is wrong, and you're telling me, mm. and you're not letting me go along on the journey to figure out why, to re-examine my relationship with this character, then you're doing it wrong. Interesting. Now, that's that's all very well said, and I can see how the... I can see how Deep Space Nine was intriguing for you and, and important in those ways. I also am reminded that you came into your professional work through Deep Space Nine, yes. right? Weren't you? You were in a chat room with your with former writing partner, Zach Stentz, and you guys bonded through Deep Space Nine, through discussing yep. that. And you went on to do incredible work together for many years. Now you're each doing your own work. But it was really through discussion of Star Trek that you've gotten, that you've both, that you both have these incredible careers. Yeah, we actually had Robert Wolf on Inglorious Trexperts. And uh, we talked a little bit about, about that. About that. But okay. just how like how understanding I Deep Space Nine No, it's okay. It's understanding Deep Space Nine kind of led to my my yeah. career as a writer. Just yeah. breaking it down. And like right. I actually was able to pinpoint it yesterday to to uh, to progress, which is the episode um, where Major Kira goes down to Bajor to convince Brian Keith right. to move out of his house and at the end she burns it down. Right. I was like, oh, okay, that's essentially like the urtext for like everything I've I've ever written, which is weird because I didn't actually write it. Robert did, but he did, yeah. And then went on to champion both you and Zach, and uh, starting with Andromeda, correct. And uh, and the rest is history. Yeah. So that's really cool. So many Star Trek writers, I'll just take this time out to say, have been mentored by other big writers in a way that doesn't happen often in this very competitive business. Um, obviously, Michael Piller and Jerry Taylor mentored. Brandon and Ron, and they've mentored m many others, and so on and so on, and all of that. And and it, we get out of that, we get Renee Echeverria and David Weddle and Bradley Thompson, and obviously you and Zach, and and so many other. I mean, the, the, uh, so many other really truly wonderful writers. Um, my, my brain is failing me right now, but all I'm those sure. all those other people you could list. No, we could yeah. list probably twenty of them oh, that sure. follow through this legacy, and that doesn't happen a lot because it's a very competitive business, and people are afraid to mentor each other because they're afraid that their mentee is going to get the job. But well, that's why we you know we subtly um, you know just kind of undermine them at every opportunity. <laughs> right, right. I've heard that about. No, I'm right. kidding. Yeah. Um. So, where do you feel that? You want the series to go, and what do you see as coming? What, what do you think about season two and, and how all of this is going to play out, uh, especially under 
now we know we've got Captain Pike. Right. Did you see that coming? Did you expect it to be him? I I didn't quite. Um, I will say Anson Mount looks a lot like Jeffrey Hunter. Yep. Um, and, you know, I'm pretty excited about Spock. And I am, I well, except for that. I would say that I think that the whole thing with the red and all that other bullcrap was like, oh, okay, so it's a connection back to the Kelvin universe. And but there's so many legal things that are tied up in that that are That's really not behind like true the oh yeah it's 100% true that there are um that there are legal um barriers between what they can do in discovery no no no, 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 no I meant that. I meant um it's not true that this has anything to do with the Kelvin Well there's, good I mean I was just saying it looked like it could be but I doubt that it is for no reason other than they couldn't possibly do it because you'd never get CBS and, and Paramount to to agree No on they doing don't that. like each other But what I really hope two words there are two <laughs> words that I'm looking for I'll next season All right. Those words are Cybok Come on people you know who Cybok is Cybok. Yes of course okay, right Cybok Okay right You don't have a brother I happen to know Uh Cybok Okay. Uh, who is Spock's brother from Star Trek V, right. The Final Frontier, who, sure. who led them on the, the mission to go and, and find God. Right. Feel their pain. Feel their pain. Right. right. Leading to actually one of my favorite scenes in Star Trek where Captain Kirk gives his whole, like, I need my pain speech. Um, right. But, I mean, damn. Would you like, like to give that you know, speech now for us, Ash? You know what? I, I, I certainly, I, I wouldn't want to, oh, well, you're going to make me do it, aren't you? Oh, if I twist your foolish arm. Right. Um, let me see if I can remember it. I don't need you to tell me I turned left when I should have turned right. I want my pain. I need my pain. Um, and it's just, it's a whole great right. thing. But um, anyway, yes. look, I figure if Spock sort of failed to mention Cybok and Michael Burnham to Captain Kirk, right? It's like, can you imagine that scene? It's like, you don't have a brother or a sister, as it turns out. Where did that conversation happen? So I figure, you know, in whatever universe... That uh, that discovery is happening in. By God, if Michael Burnham can be in it and be Spock's adopted sister, then Cybok can be in it too. And and finally, like that guy can get his due because you know what, Lawrence Luckinbill brought it in Star Trek Five. Yeah, you know he brought it. Yeah, and it's just he just hasn't really been given his due ever again. And it just feels like, you know, like it's it's a little bit of a crime. Right, Cybok. Yeah. Yeah. Who's gonna play him? That's my question. <laughs> I don't you know. know. Any thoughts on that, Anthony? Or do you want to just take this back to the red? Or like, who would you cast as Cybok? Um, well, it depends on. Are don't you, wait are for you... the translation. Answer me now. <laughs> I really can't think of anyone. <laughs> right? Because right. who can follow Lawrence Lockwood? Jack Black. Jack Black is Cybok. Would be. We're gonna go see God. Oh. Yeah. See, that would be good. Yeah. The uh, well, Tenacious D and the Starship of Destiny. I can see that. Yeah. I can definitely see that. I mean, I I didn't see. You know, I, I I didn't see Harry Mudd coming with the... Neither did Captain Lorca. Right, that's true. <laughs> Indeed. Over and over again. Over and over again. Which actually wasn't bad. Actually, that episode was kind of fun. I loved it. Yeah. I loved it. And I thought that was wonderful levity. And I think that is, you know, part of the reason that... Uh, that well, that was fairly early on. What was that? Episode and, and they, five? They, episode they five. Let, yeah. Um, yeah. What's interesting is they, they let Rain Wilson actually improvise you know some of the lines in that were pure him uh, you know like where he was just rattling off insults for people and nicknames and stuff like that yeah so he was able to be who he is right which is a comedic actor and really right truly you know, brilliant so. awesome. i met him recently at uh, salt lake 
uh, comic expo. And um, what a good human. Like, you know, all of his work, you see, you see a twinge of this, uh, like, unliked child who just needs needs something constantly. And he's just really quite the opposite of that. He just it seems like an incredibly generous person. He has a charity that works in Haiti, uh, building, uh, I think it's with uh, uh, an orphanage that he built. Um, some some incredible work and, and just really nice to see a good actor being such a good human. Um, but I digress. Um, There's no ahead. such thing as a digression. Well, not, not on this show. Just a conversation. Um, so, the, so more from you, Anthony, on this. Uh, well, I th- I, I, you you brought up you, you called it nonsense, and I think there's there's a there's a and it. <laughs> I call lots of things nonsense. It may be so. The, the big arc for the second season is this whole thing about what they're calling science versus faith, um, and I think apparently this is going to be a big thing for. Uh, Burnham, mm. and I think there's going to I think, and they're saying how this is all going to tie things together, and it, and explain why we never heard of Burnham again. So in a way, I, I'm expecting Burnham and Spock to come into conflict, maybe you know, and the science versus faith is going to be her faith versus his science, and there's this whole thing of Red Angel, which I think was a little too weird. Like, did you have to call it the Red Angel? Couldn't you've just called it, you know? That's like a cool Entity. call sign for a fighter pilot. What's that's it, true. What what is the Red Angel? Um, we know. Hmm. Well, we it's don't. Mysterious. That's it's that's the mystery. I mean, I did like in the first pilot. I love the scene where Pike comes on board and he's like, "I'm taking command." There's this weird stuff out there. Um, what is it? We don't know what it is. Let's find out. That's what Star Trek is all about. It's about okay. mystery. It's about adventure. Let's find out. But let me ask you a question. Maybe you can shed some light on this. Maybe you can't. Maybe we can just speculate wildly. Captain Pike is captain of the USS Enterprise. NCC-1701, no bloody A, B, C, D, or E. What does he need with the Discovery, which can't even use its spore drive anymore? Well, it's a very good question. Hmm. And and one that's been... so, So clearly... He's there come, is yeah, there's there's something on the discovery. There's some reason why the cast of the show they need yeah exactly and the sets that they've built yes <laughs> yeah and they're like we haven't built Enterprise sets it's a lot of cost to Amber. Well, I, I, I laughed but I what do you mean the the, the cast of the show how do well, you mean I mean you know they're you can't just completely go do like Captain Pike and the crew of the Enterprise I mean you could I would be happy but um, I think there's a lot of people being unhappy yes they do as as number one is number two Ah. Uh, but no I mean it's obviously the show has to be about you know the the characters that we've been on the journey with yeah definitely so of course if Captain Pike is going to be in this thing it's we're going to bring they're going to give us what's the logic they're going to handle they're more than enough I don't think they needed to go there I need to be on the Enterprise because or I need to be on the Discovery because the Enterprise needs a new coat of paint because there's something on the Discovery is the only ship that could go to place X because who cares I mean they're going to explain it and it won't matter because the whole point is right, and I'm sure it wasn't his decision. The whole it was point ordered is ordered by someone above. Burnham is the main character of the show. She can't be the captain. They need a captain, but they can't have someone who's always going to be the captain. So they have like a rotating captain. So first season is the mirror universe guy. Second season, it's the captain of the Enterprise who takes leave 
whatever for a year and you know for a special mission season three is captain stubing yeah exactly <laughs> which would be amazing <laughs> right right you know so it, it's gonna be you know almost like a joke every season is gonna be a new captain right. apparently captain kangaroo be like the drummer on spinal him? tap yeah right okay. exactly exactly except in this case he's not going to explode although it would be amazing Yet. if he did indeed i would foreshadowing it would be foreshadowing right would that fit in the timeline? No. Absolutely not. At all. not but neither does the Klingon War, so who no. cares? <laughs> Wait, Captain Pike? He still has to go to the Well, he goes back to the Enterprise and then eventually has right. a horrible he's accident. Not with... Pike yet. Yeah. Is it Delta Rays? Something like that. Gamma it's like, rays? So he's like he has to become a comet well, actually a funny thing is this. So if he's got the Enterprise and the Discovery, right? It's two ships, he's basically like taking command of that little group, then he is by definition by title, it's not a rank, it's a title. We had this conversation, I think, at some point on Inglorious, but um, he's a Commodore. So he will be technically Commodore Pike the second that he takes over. Like, Don't they, isn't supposed to be, I thought it was Fleet Captain. Um, you know what, you might be right. Commodore is a specific rank. It's not a rank, it's a title. It's actually, yes, it, when I used to work for the Navy. Uh, so yeah, it's oh, absolutely. It's like the Commodore is the person who um, who commands the the fleet and it. Or but anyway, I, right. I have a feeling they talk so much about the Enterprise after it showed up. I have a feeling that the Enterprise it's going to show up at the beginning, right? right? And Pike's going to come over and they're going to look out the window and Burnham's going to go over there. She's going to hang out in Spock's quarters, um, and uh, I think Amanda shows up and then the Enterprise is just going to leave and we're not going to see it again for three right. episodes. Then it's going to show up maybe once or twice again. So they aren't on just before the hiatus. Yeah, so they, they, right. they're, they're not doing a hiatus this year. But anyway, but I, they, they, so they aren't doing fleet action, I don't think. But how badass would it be to have but the Enterprise throughout the entire season? Well, I think they don't want – they want to – a little because bit Because everybody would be looking way. at the Enterprise and going like, hey, hey, girl. hey. hey. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I guess hey. Discovery is cool and all, but look, it's the Enterprise. It's the Enterprise. You yeah. know, Discovery's no pretty damn cool, though. It is cool. I'm, it like I'm it spins the, yes. like the top of it just goes oh, like that. that. It's pretty cool, and it, it like has like the cool. yeah. I I like it. It's uh it's nifty, and it's, it's nifty. It's totally different. Yeah, yeah. insanely long nacelles. Right. Well, you know, you need that um, because that way it's kind of like when you ski, right? Right. Yeah, when you're like in, you know, warps, you want to have a little more, little more. So, I mean, oh, that's here's, it. Here's, yeah. I mean, here's how I think they're going to do it, which is in episode three, they talked about how it's basically a floating laboratory. There's hundreds of labs. Something that I really wish they did in the first season is so Stamets and his crazy spore experiment, which you know became the spore drive, was one of many things. And I always thought it would be an interesting thing. For like every other episode, they'd have their their big problem, and then they're like, "Well, you know, um, you know, Lieutenant whatever in Science Lab Forty Two has come up with this crazy thing, and you, you know, you bring in John Hodgman or whatever, and you know, every few episodes you have another crazy scientist who has this cool thing, and it either works or it doesn't work. So apparently, the ship has all sorts of science things going on, and I suspect one of them is something that Captain Pike needs. And that's why he needs to be on ah, the discovery. That's a go. good point. One of the other crazy experiments. Yeah. But maybe not. Maybe he just, you know, maybe okay. the Enterprise is, you know, it needs to go in for inspection. You know, uh, it, yeah. it has cooties. It's it, so. Here's my next question. Then, yeah. right? So, all right. So we accept as a premise. Grant the premise. The Captain Pike shows up. Says, "Nice ship. Thanks. I think I'll take it." Right? And he right. like. 
takes off. He leaves the Enterprise. His sweet ride leaves her behind. Right. But we know that Rebecca Romaine is also going to be on the show as number one, his number two. So if he brings number one along on the adventure on the Discovery and leaves behind the Enterprise, who the hell is in command of the Enterprise? Is it, fair... is it Spock? Like, the women! I mean, is that <laughs> what's happening? Is it, By the way, is he going to be crazy aggro Spock that we see in the cage? Like, or, or what's going on with that? Do we know? Random Spock. Well, well... Two things. One is I'm fairly certain that Rebecca Romain gets is leaves too. Like she doesn't. Right. He's had enough of her. He's like, yeah. you know, take the Enterprise. Ciao. You've stayed. So your I hour. think she's in charge. It's possible that they're going to check out some of. There's like seven symbol, seven bursts. So they're going to check out some. Maybe the Enterprise will check out others. Maybe the Enterprise has another mission. Who knows? Um, and Spock is not on the Enterprise in episode one of season two. I don't think he shows up until episode. Five, so um, he, he's taken leave. He's which I thought. I thought one of the interesting things about that is Spock is being called by the Red Angels with his messages, and and that's somewhat reminiscent of Star Trek: The Motion hey, Spock, Picture. Spock, Red Angel. Yeah. Just, uh, just trying to reach you, man. Is it exactly? Cool, okay. Exactly. So he was getting. He's been having dreams all his life about these things. Apparently, so there's some kind of lure to him. Okay. So he bails, grows the beard, right? Goes off on his walkabout. So, which apparently you could do in Starfleet. They're like, you know what? I had these dreams. You know, I need to go find myself. So, so Spock goes, and and then. Pike shows up, and I guess they're going to go find Spock. So yeah. there's a little bit of a search for Spock, a little bit of Star Trek yeah. The Motion Picture where Spock was hearing V'ger, you know. So, right. Uh, but I kind of like that. I think this is going to be, I mean, and certainly they've been saying this, this is not the Spock we know. And, and that fits with the cage because, as you said, in the cage, Spock is a little unhinged, as it were. He's, he's smiling. He's screaming about <laughs> the women. You yeah. know, he's, he's not... Yeah, the season one Spock. Now the reasons for that are obvious, yes. and more to do with behind the scenes of how they change the character. Right. Yeah. But they can now show us. Well, maybe there's a reason why Spock was because remember he's half human, obviously. Um, you know, it took him a bit to get into to being where he kind of fully became. You know, more adopted his Vulcan side. Um, and the arc obviously continues in Star Trek The Motion Picture where he just uh, decides to go full-on Vulcan fundamentalist with the Kolinar, but then he decides to drop the necklace and go after V'ger, which shows, again, Spock is a little flighty, you know, he if you is. think about it. He's you know, like, he can't make up his really mind. Rely on him, you know? you know? I never thought I'd think of Spock in that way. Flighty. You know, he's a little ADD, you know? It's just that when he sees the squirrel, he makes it sound perfectly logical to run after it. Hmm. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. He's, a, he, he's logic you know, is he's a pretty flower that smells. They decides to go off to Romulus. Right. You yeah. know. Okay. He's all. You know what? He's off the reservation all the time. He is a loose cannon. He is more of a loose cannon than Captain Kirk ever was. Right. I mean, exactly the, the menagerie. Right. It's like okay, so uh, you know, I love. But this Captain was Pike. logical. If we are really going to follow the credos of Star Trek, where Trek. was the logic? Where was Spock's logic in the menagerie? If, if it was we pure really, emotion, he was doing that it for was, the love of his captain. Okay, sure. It was it was definitely emotion, but it was also logical that if this man needs help, you 
you give it. I see that as I don't know. So you I steal see that a starship. You, yes. you you you, you yes, take you, a chance of having the the, the, the death penalty. You, I'm sorry, but that's that's not logical. You you do the right thing, as as Burnham well, yeah. says, bringing that's it back to that's sentiment. No, but bringing that it back logic. to bringing it back to what what um what Burnham says in the what is it? I guess it's the last episode of of Discovery is that you know what do we hold dear? What is it, it, it that we value? Is it doing the right thing or is it our uh, our instincts basically uh, I, I wish i had the the exact words but yes i mean i think that that, that is both logical and and an issue of emotion well i mean i love the menagerie. if you if you care about if you say you hold these things dear then it's logical that you would follow through i mean you know we've seen this in star trek where you could twist logic they've shown vulcans who became terrorists by using logic logic is one of those things where you can use it to, to make anything sound logical right plus but, we also kind of sometimes i think people buy into um into this fallacy that uh, that vulcans don't have emotions which they do which they do they are they're passionate creatures who control their passions through right. through logic right yes and if our credos are what they are about about doing the right thing and is the Starfleet credo of, you know, you give your life for me, I give you my life for you, and and then, well, then we we're both, both safe. That's then we're, well, but, right, but that, but but <laughs> if if that is the case, then it has to be both emotional and logical because what happens when our emotions tell us to do otherwise? We have to fall back on the logic that this is the only way the world works for us to really stand up for each other. So I, I, I think that we're going to see a lot of Spock's relationship with Pike. What, I think we're going to get into that yeah, in this season so. a lot. And they're also, I mean, you know, spoiler alert. We've, you know, we've already said spoiler. Did we say spoiler alert enough? So we're going to be visiting Talos Four in season two. I think we're going to find out exactly because, you know, how exactly was Spock in communication with the Talosians in the menagerie, like did he? You he know, were they were they self. Facebook friends? He had a afterwards, that's what it was. Right. He kept DMing him, and it was you like, so, God, my phone is blowing up. It's, so blowing. I think they're going to connect the dots of you know they left Talos Four, um, and then ten years later, Spock is like, you know, has is part of this Talosian plan to save Pike. So I think something happened in between. Um, and we're going to find out what that something is. Okay. So then here's my next question. And this is very important to me. What is it that the Discovery is going to be shooting its phasers at? I mean, come on. Who are we fighting? Um, when are we going to get to see some shit blow up really good? Is the spore drive going to be back? Are we going to get to blink around and like you know, blow things up from like a hundred different points, like inside of like 60 seconds. These are the questions that, that keep a fan like me hanging on the, the edge of my seat. Right. Right. It's like, so is, uh, I, I guess what I'm saying is, is there any indication of like, of how much blowing shit up is going to happen in the, the second season of, of Discovery? Okay. I think there's going to be more action. The trailer, I mean, as I said, the trailer, although they didn't show a lot of things going boom, um, I think that's because we don't see that probably in the early episodes, as you know, trailers right. draws very much from the first right. 
two right. episodes, Plus really. Not completed effects. So and that's all the that blowing the shit up. And then what about the repairer of relationships, the repairer of Burnham and, uh, you know, what's going to happen? What's going to happen with her relationship, with her love for Tyler? What's going to happen with uh, she and obviously, um, uh, sorry, uh, Georgia uh, have have had this love hate kind of thing. I know, and right? She and her mirror mom. Weird loyalty, weird? parenthood, and you know, arch enemy. And you know, where are we going to go back to with with so many of these things? What's going to happen with Laurel and Tyler? Um, all of those things, I think, that keep us coming back. I, I think, I, I hope that see that season two doesn't dwell too much on season one, but certainly deals with repercussions. Yeah, does not pretend things didn't happen. Okay, you know, and yeah. and and certainly we we know that one of the big, probably the person that's going to do it the most is probably a, a lieutenant now Lieutenant Commander Stamets, um, who. Is dealing with the that's a big deal most and the death serious of his thing, husband. which is the yeah. you know the death of Culver. Yeah, yeah. so and, many questions. And I hope that Ash Tyler comes back honestly because he has a really super cool first name. He does have a. Co- I'm sure they got it from you. Wait, uh, it had to be. Do you get residuals from that? <laughs> I would. You hope know what? So. I'm going to call my lawyer. Any last thing you guys want to say? Like like ten seconds each. What do you want to say? All right, that's it. How about you? God, I hope a lot of stuff blows up next season. Okay, all right. You get one more chance, Anthony. Um. That's it. I, I I echo that actually. Yeah. I want to see. You know what I want to see? There's people beaming down to planets, having and shooting things they don't understand. Exactly. Right. And shooting things they, <laughs> as in life. All right, we have it. Um, thank you guys so much for being here. Thank I you really for am glad me. you could join us, Ashley Miller and Anthony Pascal. And thank you to our audience for joining us tonight for Disco Nights. We are glad you could be here with us, and we hope you join us next week. Uh, we have a disco party every Thursday and an all-new episode of our look at Star Trek Discovery. We are, uh, If you like what you heard, you can rate us five stars at Apple Podcasts. And in addition, you can also watch our sister shows, which are Inglorious Trexperts, starring Mark Altman and his team of Inglorious Trexperts. And uh, also the other sister show is 430 Movie. 430 Movie. 430 Movie with... None other than Ash Miller. We hope you will follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Disco Nights Pod. And uh, please share your thoughts, comments, and ideas for future episodes. We would love to hear from you. Um, Finally, a special thanks to Bill Ritter, our engineer. And everyone here, including producer Mark Altman and uh, everything he does uh, here at Electric Surge Studios and beyond. And Darren Docterman, who does a much better William Shatner imitation than anybody except William Shatner. Like, what was that about? Come on, Ash. You got to step up your game there. All right. Join us next week for Darren Docterman's inimitable impersonation. And uh, thanks to everybody who's making the show possible, including you, our audience. We are excited to have you join us next week. This is Chase Masterson saying, Disco Lives! Everybody dance.